Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Dental Momentum Podcast powered by Duckett Ladd Dental CPAs and Advisors. Jared Duckett back at you with my business partner, Bill Ladd. And Bill, I was thinking, kind of preparing for this one, I, I think we might have outdone ourselves. You know, I think uh, we might be setting our viewers up with with unrealistic, unrealistic expectations, maybe. We're kind of in the infant stages of this podcast, but we brought some real heavy hitters. But today, I think we kind of moved the bar up a little bit. We're, um, we're, yeah. we're coming out of the gates hot, Jared. I would say we're, right. uh, we're setting at a high bar, and, and man, heaven forbid we run out of our Rolodex and we have to talk to each other. I tell you, we'll, uh, we'll see a precipitous drop, I think. But man, I am super excited about today's guest, Jared. Yeah, I second that. I'm pumped about this, guys. And we've got, we've got Dr. David Phelps with us, uh, founder of the Freedom Founders Mastermind Community. Uh, but also, I mean, I could do a list that, you know, a dentist, an author, entrepreneur, visionary, I could go on and on and on. But Dr. David Phelps, we appreciate you joining us today on the show. Well, and Jared, it's always a pleasure. Uh, you know, the collaboration we've been able to put together in uh, the last uh, year or two uh, just to help uh, the people we love to help has been awesome. And, uh, you know, it, it takes a tribe, it takes a community to do it. So I'm, I'm pleased to be a part of the, the effort. Yeah. And, and you know, you said it, we, we've known each other probably for about two years or so, let's say, and kind of, you know, met through another mastermind community outside Freedom Founders. And really, I remember the first time I met you, and it's, it's really when I saw you present and, and tell your story you know, of, of really the story of, of your career and how it influenced your core values, where you are today and, and what you stand for and why you do what you do. So kind of just share with our viewers, for those who haven't heard of what, what, what is your story, if you don't mind? Yeah, I grew up in a solid middle-class family. We didn't really have anything, any wants, uh, but, but uh, my parents were very astute and very smart and never gave us uh, as kids, uh, two sisters gave us, gave us anything. So I was, uh, as a young kid, I was always trying to figure out how to make money because I wanted independence, right? Don't we all, we all want independence. We don't have to like that, like be uh, reliant on our parents to like give us the allowance and whatever they would give you is like, you know, didn't, didn't go very far when I was, uh, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. And I, I wanted stuff, you know, but I wanted freedom. I wanted to buy the bicycle, right? I wanted my own little uh, black and white was the best you could do. Black and white TV. I remember finally getting it, you know, at Kmart, right? I wonder if Kmart's still around, right? But got it Kmart, you know, turn the dial, there's no remote, but but that was like a big deal. So I think the the, the desire for independence was always there in my life, even though I grew up with a great family. And I I, I think then, like all, all of us, who we're talking today, they're business owners, professional practice owners. There's also a part of us that said, you know, we want to seek uh, a, a life, uh, a career, a, a passion, a profession that allows us to, again, uh, create some security in our lives. Everybody wants some security. And then from security, you want to add on the other nice things you like in life, whatever that might be. Lifestyle, let's just call it that. And I think a lot of us, we go down that path because that's what's always been presented to us as the path to freedom. Education first, and then you go out and establish yourself in a career profession, uh, something that will, will allow you to have that, that, that freedom and create the independence. So I did the same thing, but I always had that entrepreneurial side inside of me. And when I was in college, uh, probably third, fourth year. So, you know, moving towards the end of it, getting through all the tough, tough classes, uh, the chemistries and the biology and anatomy and physiology, physics. Uh, finally getting through some of those, I, I thought, you know, I, I need to start uh, figuring out, you know, how to, how to be a good investor. Because that's always how I was. I just, you know, invest money, make money. I just, that was always my thing. And so I started reading books on the stock market. And I read some books about real estate. Those were really the, the two platforms that I was aware of. And when I read books about 
stock market, mutual funds and that stuff. It's like, yeah, but I don't really understand where I can really, you know, have exert some control. Me being like that control freak. I want to have some control over it. I don't want to just, you know, give my money to something or, or, or put it in a platform where it's like, you know, it's kind of like rolling the dice every day. And we certainly have just seen kind of a lot. crossing your fingers, right? Yeah. Crossing your fingers. And we've seen a lot of that, you know, in recent months, uh, the volatility of those markets. Yeah. So then I saw, read the books about real estate. Uh, so those books, and it's like, well, this makes sense. There's a tangible asset and, and I can have some control over it, however I want to do it. And so I talked my dad into uh, being my co-investor in the first house that we bought as a co-rental property back when I was in my first year of dental school. I managed the property. He was the financier, kind of a typical joint venture you might call it today. But at the end, we split about $50,000 in capital gain profits. That $25,000, my share was definitely more than I made waiting tables, you know, nights and weekends, although that was a good way to make some money going through school. I realized that this thing about a capital asset, that if you acquire it, you add value to it, you manage or somebody manages it. I mean, that's kind of the construct here. You have to manage the asset, yeah. uh, but then it, it, it would produce income, reliable, sustainable income that I no longer had to go to work for every day. And that was probably my big aha moment. You know, even reading the books about it, it's like when you finally actually do it, and you see the results of doing something that you read before in theory, you go, okay, there's something to this. So I graduate dental school, go on into dental practice. But I also thought, you know, I got to keep this, this real estate thing going because I think there's something here. I didn't know what it was going to lead to, but there's something here. So I took my 25,000 and parlayed it, rolled it into additional properties. And you'd say, well, how many properties could you buy with $25,000, David? Well, uh, I understood the, the, the use of leverage. And I used leverage big time, but again, the right leverage, it's got to be the right kind of leverage. So I leveraged big time, but I understood the premise that, you know, you only acquire these assets if they will cash flow, no matter what the debt is, they got a cash flow. So I got very creative in learning how to, to uh, negotiate seller terms. I'd carry, they, I would take over financing that the seller would have, they carried back terms that I had to negotiate to make sure my cash flow was there because building a negative cash flow machine, even though you're acquiring assets, isn't really the road to freedom. It's, it's yeah. usually going to be a road to, to something else that's not good. So, so down the road, I had uh, about 35 houses. This is like 15 years later. I had been paying down the, the mortgages, the loans that I had taken over or added to to acquire with extra money from the practice. So I took the money from the practice instead of putting in a savings account or a money market account or even the stock, stock market. I said, I'm just going to take that extra money. I'm just going to pound down the mortgages. And so I'm sitting there with a, quite a few free and clear houses in um, 1998. So I was, I don't know how old I was then. I would have to do the math real quick, 30, early 30s. And really, you know, that's when I just, I thought right, right here and there, I said, you know, I'm, I'm making some pretty good money off these assets. I don't have yeah. to really like work as hard. And then uh, unfortunately life, life starts to change, you know, the, the turns, right. That, that we don't necessarily count on. And my daughter, Jenna, had uh, undergone a diagnosis of high-risk leukemia when she was very, very young, you know, like two years old, and, and she got through it, uh, but the marriage to her mother did not. So she survived, marriage didn't. So that was like my first like jolt, right? Because this, this wasn't my plan. Emotionally scarred, financially scarred, uh, you know, you, you kind of have to refine yourself. But, uh, you know, I dug back in and, you know, recovered got my assets and cash flows back up again in this time, not 15 years, but six years, because I just, you know, I already had a network. I knew how to do it. Uh, Jenna again survived, which was the big thing. So we go on down the road and 
Jenna also has epileptic seizures, which she has to take a lot of medication for to try to, to, try to uh, manage the seizures. She's already been through a lot of chemotherapy. So at age 12, she's in end-stage liver failure. This is a 12-year-old girl, end-stage liver failure. You know, you think no, normally that's going to be like an alcoholic or somebody who's yeah. taking a lot of drugs that they're, you know, they're going to fail. But, you know, she's failing her liver because of all the medications. And so that's, so that's another, another blow, right? Um, I have to like figure out where, to, where, where we're going to go. We're going to have this transplant done, you know, going through all the, the logistical aspects. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking the whole time, you know, how many more chances am I going to get to be a dad? Uh, yeah. You know, I've kind of put it off thinking, well, we'll get, we'll get through this. This will pass. This will pass. But each time I'm thinking, you know, how many more chances do I get? So the real question is, why am I living my life this way? Is there another way I could do it? Not, no regrets about dentistry. That was the engine that drove everything. Trust me, it, it drove everything. I have no regrets about that at all. But I, I had to make a change. And the real estate, even though I was not a wealthy, wealthy man, by any means, I had the cash flow. I had enough cash flow. We call it today the freedom number and freedom founder. So it's yeah. like, what's, what's, what's the cash flow that you need to support your lifestyle, whatever that may be, that's not, and we want to make it so it's not dependent upon us to go do the active income. So that's when you're truly free. Doesn't mean you stop working. It just means, ah, now I can take a breath. Now I can design my practice the way I really want it. Maybe I don't take insurance anymore. Maybe I only fee for service. Maybe I only see certain patients or maybe I don't practice at all, whatever, right? Yeah. But that was the key. That was the wake up call. It's like, what's the real number here, David? Because I never really calculated it. I just always thought, well, I got to have more. Got to have more. That's the, that's the American dream. You build more, you build more. Try to build this big security moat and then realizing that I had no control. I had so no when control. you started, when you started, you know, you got that first house and then you, you parlay that 25 into more properties. Did you see that at first? And you always say plan B and we maybe can unpack that too. But did you see that as a plan B? to get out of dentistry at that time? Or did you see it like, hey, I made money on this first one, let's, let's parlay it and keep making more money and, and not really see it as the plan B, just as an additional way to make you know, money? Yeah, well, of course, I, I was not using any of these terms back then. I don't think you sure. knew what the term leverage was. I mean, well, I, yeah, I guess I, I did. I, I, was, I, was, I was getting involved in, in mentorship with real estate. So, but, but plan B was definitely not in my vocabulary. I didn't, you know, that came later as I kind of discovered what that meant. But to answer your question, Jared, well, I didn't, I don't think I looked at real estate uh, from the beginning as saying, well, this is going to be my, my, my exit strategy because I still was, I still was built on the premise that you go to school, you put in the time, the effort, you, you know, get the degrees license. Then you, now you go into additional risk, uh, starting a practice and, you know, additional capital costs. And, you know, the way I was brought up is, is you did that career, God willing, you know, till you were, you know, in your sixties. I mean, that's just what you do, right? That's the way we've been built. Uh, hard work, ethic, Stay, stay straight and forward. And, and so I thought that I would just be, be a good investor, but I didn't know when this would like come to fruition or what it'd be. I just thought I got to have something on the outside. Not that my father was, um, my father was very conservative uh, with, with money. I know that. Now he was not like some astute investor. He wasn't like, you know, day trading on the stock market. He was also not into real estate. He just did kind of like tried and true principles, but the big one was he was just conservative, right? He just saved money and, and that'll, get you, that'll get you there. And he did fine, but I also saw him try some things. And I see that a lot today. And I'm sure you guys do too, is, is somewhere down the road, you know, even conservative people that are living their life, you know, uh, keeping their lifestyle below their, their, their earnings, not letting it rise above, which is so, so common. Even people that are very conservative and are, and are doing fine and they, they, they reduce debt. They don't go into debt for consumption. That was my dad all the way. 
but I saw him also, like so many people, kind of take flyers on some things. You know, he'd probably be at Rotary or in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the physician's, you know, room at the hospital. And, you know, there's always talk going on. Hey, did you know, did you hear about so-and-so? And my dad did a few of those things, you know. Um, not a lot, fortunately, but I, I remember, you know, it's, it's what I call the, the conversations that you hear as a kid uh, at the top of the stairs, assuming you have a two-story yeah. house, you know. The, you know, I'm talking about the conversations that your parents are having at night uh, and you're, you're, you're a kid and you're listening in and, and you hear the stuff. And so I, I heard those conversations and about, you know, the money that was put into the Florida orange grove and then it all froze and went back. <laughs> so, okay, maybe investing in orange groves is not a good thing if you don't know anything about that. Um, there was other stuff. I won't go into it. But, but, but what I realized is that, is that, you know, you have to be, if you're going to be a, an orchestrator of your financial future, uh, number one, yes, you have to have the education. You have to go into a business uh, career that you're focused on for sure. But you can't abdicate the other other pillar, which is orchestrating your financial future, no matter where you want to be investing. And I'm not saying real estate's the end all to everything. It is kind of for me. But, you know, wherever you want to go, don't abdicate it to somebody else because somebody else is not going to take care of your stuff like you will. And, and a lot of people think, well, it's, it's just too complex. It's just too complicated. Well, I think that's a limiting belief. I think, I think we, we set limits on ourselves by what society says and, and too many people you know, roll that way. So when you think about this, David, I mean, a lot of what you're, you're talking about here is it feels like you had a mindset shift and it, it was probably gradual inflection points from when you read your first book, you know, as a high schooler, I think you said, or maybe in college and you got your first rental. And then, you know, was, was it the point that, that, your, your daughter had her, her health issues that you really reevaluated your, your outlook on, on your profession, your vocation, what you were passionate about. Is, is that kind of the, uh, the point that, that you really decided that that was what was more important to you that time and that freedom uh, than, than being chained to your, your chair? Is that, is that the point that that happened? That was definitely the turning point. I mean, I can still remember uh, right after she, she'd had the liver transplant, which uh, you know, as you can imagine, it's a it's an ordeal. It's a it's a it's a it's a replumbing of in the human body, if, if you will, uh, pretty extensive. And, and and her recovery wasn't quick or easy. She had you know setbacks, complications. So she was in the hospital a lot that following year, and I was there a lot. Fortunately, I had my practice had an associate, so it wasn't like it just shut down. Uh, but during that time, I was there. It really, I really had some time to really seriously think and really evaluate. You know, you, that's that's a time in your life when you go through a some kind of a crisis or adversity. I think those those are opportunities to really dig in because other other otherwise you know things are kind of rolling along, maybe not perfect, not exactly what you want, but but you, you're busy, so you're just doing what you think you need to do. And I just really took a step back, a really hard step back, and said, you know, it's okay, it's okay to take off the dentist hat and say, you know, and not that I not that I didn't think I could go back and do it if I wanted to. I mean, that was always always be an option, but at least for that period of time, I said, you know what. I need to shut this part of my life down. It's been good. I'm going to shut it down and focus on what's most important to me right now. That's my daughter. And I'm going to do that. And then maybe I'll go back to dentistry. Who knows? I wasn't really playing that far. It's just like right now, this is the turning point. This is the decision I'm going to make now. I'm going to commit to it and go forward on this. But was that an easy decision for you to make? I mean, that, that is such a terrifying decision, I would think, because that, it's like you said, that's all you've known. That's what you've been taught is that this is your path and it's sequential and, and this is how things flow. I mean, how, put us in your head. How was that decision? Was it an easy one to make or was it tough? Well, I'm not going to say it was easy. Certainly when, when you are thinking about completely changing the course of your life, like I said earlier, we think about going into a, a practice, a profession, a career like that for being a 30 year plus. Yeah. Uh, that's what we think. And so that, you know, that part was, was hard. 
but but my daughter's situation also brought it right to home and it gave me that permission yeah. to make that change and i think the other part of it um bill and jared is that you know i you know, we talk a lot about who we surround ourselves with and you know that can be certainly you know people in your profession so your skill set and learning there and that's good and that's where most people focus their their surroundings is is in that in that in that involved in that uh, that type of environment uh, for me you know i was blessed with my curiosity early on to to kind of get an interest heavily into real estate which gave me uh, a place to be with other people that not better than my dentist friends no but their mindset was different their mindset was more open. It was more, um, God, I hate to say it, you know, but it's like a little more exciting. I just, you know, <laughs> and I'm very conservative, guys. You know, I'm not like the life of the party, you know. So, so you're not going, hey, what do you mean, David? Exciting, like, you know, <laughs> what are you talking about here? But, but I think it was there. I think it was the zeal for life, uh, and and I and I sort of kind of like got to early on live vicariously through them, and I got to know that they were real people. I mean, you know, you can hear a lot of people talk talk a big talk, but you know, you're kind of wondering. You know, is that really real? But I spent enough time with some of these people and they really took me on uh, as in a mentor-mentee relationship, which I appreciate because I was in my 20s and some of these people were 50s, 60s, you know, even approaching 70, lots of wisdom there. And when I saw the way they looked at life and then, of course, finance, real estate um, structures, um, putting together, uh, you know, deals that were win-win, made sense, that solved problems. I thought, well, I'm solving problems of the mouth. That's great. But here's people solving different kinds of problems. I thought, this is kind of cool. So I think back to your question is the reason I, it was a little bit easier for me to do it is because I don't, I didn't feel like I had all my eggs in one basket. The real estate side was growing on me, had been growing and I had been learning more about the fact that, you know, I didn't have to be only a dentist. Dentistry was great, but I didn't have to be only a dentist. There was other things I could do and I was building a, a new skill set that I never got formal training in school, but I was learning on the street which I don't think is a bad place to learn a lot of things. I mean, I was learning on the street real time with people that had really gone deep into uh, the, the ability to build outside wealth. Or in this case, it was outside wealth for me. To them, maybe real estate was their number one, but for me, it was outside wealth and how I could do that even as a dentist in a dental practice. So how would you, so you mentioned, and you just talked about, so, you know, the, the, you had an event, let's say, that caused the shift, caused the mindset shift. How, how would you speak to, let's say, the dentist out, out there right now that's, been doing this for 20 years and they're grinding and they're listening to your story and their thing and their mindset is no, 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 no. I can't do that because I was taught, like Bill said, go to school, get a job, own a practice and work, 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 work. And then I'll, I'm going to say the word retire. How, how, what's your advice to that person thinking that right now is how do they start having a shift in mindset? You had an event, but how do they have a shift in mindset? What's that permission trigger? You said you, mm -hmm. you were given mentally permission to do it that's a great way to look at it what, what is the trigger that's a great question jared i think the trigger is for any one person i think there's got to be a trigger that that causes a deep enough reflection and what is that going to be it you know for a lot of people it is some some something personal in their life that happens that at the time it's a it's a it's a crisis or a, a tragedy unfortunately of, of different kinds different nature right uh, or a it's just a scare, you know, maybe there's a, a disability, you know, a doctor, surgeon, dentist uh, has a disability, you know, it's, it doesn't, you know, flatten them completely, but I mean, maybe they're out for a good time. Any, anything like that can, can cause it, or it could be something on a, on a broader national scope, which, you know, I don't want to, you know, totally 
timestamp this, but we might as well because it's, it's going to be in our history forever, you know, the, the COVID-19. So that's been, you know, a universal. Uh, everybody, to some degree, has been affected by this. And if it, it, it's, I think it's caused a lot of people uh, across the ranks to rethink a lot of things about their lives, personal and business career. Uh, and so I think you've got to take these opportunities, as tough as sometimes they are, and not think about going back as quickly as you can to normal. Because normal is where you were. And again, you, you could be, have been, you know, in society's definition, very successful. You look the part. But what I'm talking about is, is inside, you know, the real reality. Because you know, if you're listening to me, is, you know, even if you're living the life out there and you've got, you know, you've done pretty darn well and you maybe have some good investments, but you know, everybody, almost everybody's got some, some things that are, that are lurking inside that just aren't fulfilling completely. And it's not just all finance. It's what I was talking about but with Jenna, my daughter. It's, it's what are you missing in, in your, your family's lives? Where, what are you missing there? Because you're, you're out there just trying to turn it so hard, so hard, so hard. And, and that, that treadmill of, of, of active earning, trading time for dollars, mm-hmm. it's getting harder and harder. It's not going to get easier going forward. It's already been hard enough in the last number of years. It's going to get harder. So I think if you're listening to this today, you've really got to take, uh, take stock of, 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 of the assets that you have. Now, the other assets you can create besides yourself and you know, your current business and you know, whatever investments you have, great to whatever point. But I think the big key is we've all got to, to be open to shifting our mindset. It just comes to, back to how we think. Uh, tactics and strategies even that are well, well, well laid out aren't going to do a whole lot if we still have a, a mindset of the old, whatever that old is, however we were brought up. And the only way I know to do that is, is, is by what we take in. Uh, certainly what we read, listen to, uh, but also the people that we spend time with. And there's been nothing better in my life that's, that's helped me stay ahead uh, and not getting complacent. And that's being with other people that, you know, I know I can trust, number one, uh, that are also on the same path, you know, maintaining freedom, preserving freedom, personal freedom. We want freedom for the country. Uh, these, this is a more of a bigger mission, right? But those are the kind of people that, that uh, where movement's in place where it, it, that's what drives me today. It drives me. And I think you've got to be in a place where you can, you can start to adopt a different mindset because the mindset we develop all over those years of growing up uh, and going to school, it's, 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 it's almost robotic. And that's, that's just very limiting and it was what I've seen. In, in, and I see people that come to Freedom Founders and, and the change in their dynamic. I'm talking about couples, right? And when the, a lot of times they first come is like, you know, they're quote successful, stressed out, right? There's a lot of stress. Do I have enough? You know, can I, can I make it? The volatility in the marketplace, you know, how can I sustain what I need for my lifestyle? Lots of stress there. And once they, they learn that they can actually have a, some control and orchestrate their financial future, you just see the stress coming out of their faces and you start to see them smile and laugh. I mean, that's, for me, that's probably the biggest satisfier there is, is to see people changing their lives. And now they, they, that change in dimension goes down to their kids. So, so relationships start to change and now their kids attitude can change. It's like, it's got a ripple effect to it. So, so let me jump in real quick here, Dr. Phelps. And, and, you know, you're talking about freedom founders. I know Jared would love to kind of get to how you got to that point, but, but I think this is a good place to, to kind of take a pause and, and, you know, we just recently sat in on a Freedom Founders uh, uh, meeting, and I tell you what, it was incredible. You're world-class speakers, but one that really spoke to me is I know a personal mentor of yours, and that's, that's Dan Kennedy. And some of the things you're talking about here, I wanted to kind of unpack with you, and, and one of them is, is exactly what you said right now, that 
a lot of these people, these dentists are having this existential crisis because their income was shut down. And I jotted this down as he was talking. He said, nothing is more fragile than income. Right. And, and in conjunction with that, he said, you get rich and secure from things you own, not things you do. Those really spoke to me. And I think that's really kind of uh, just right in line with that message uh, of what you're, what you're teaching with your freedom number and, and in freedom founder. So can you kind of talk, give us your take on those two, those two points and how they're really relevant. I, I agree with you. Don't want to tam- timestamp this, but right now is a unique time in history. And these are top of mind for a lot of people. No, no doubt. Big wake up call to realize, you know, as Dan said, you know, how fragile uh, an active income uh, earnings can be for, for a host of different reasons. I mean, we could just come up with a bunch right now, but we just had it, you know, hit a lot of people uh, right in the face. And so, yeah, what, what Dan talked about, what I learned in real estate way back when was that, you know, a tangible asset, which I look at, it could be, it could be a business, a real business, you know, or so practices or any kind of real business where the owner uh, is not, the business is not dependent upon the owner. The owner may do some things in the business. They can or they can't if they like it, but that business will run without the owner. So that's a real business, real estate all day long, um, equipment. So some kind of tangible asset, if you have ownership or even partial ownership of, of capital assets that produce what I call recurring revenue, recurring revenue, sustainable re- revenue, Yes, it has to be managed, uh, but the revenue that's spit out means you don't have to manage it. You know, you can be somewhere else. We talk about, uh, you know, you go to a, go to a McDonald's. I'm not McDonald's with a dental practice, okay? So please, folks, don't get mad at me here. Uh, but but people say, come on, David. Uh, but no, think about it. You go into McDonald's and you go to the counter and if you're gonna order your meal, but you also say, hey, hey, can I, can I speak to the owner? And uh, whoever's the front will say, well, the manager's here. Well, no, I really like to speak to the owner. I mean, your place is so clean. I want to tell sorry, you know, the owner only checks in like, you know, every couple of months, you know, just kind of drives through and checks their different, different um, franchises. And so that's kind of a, you know, wake up call. It's like, well, that's really what ownership is. So ownership where, you know, even you as the owner don't have to be managing the asset, whatever it is, that's, that's freedom. Now, again, we all want to do something, right? I'm, I'm, I don't sit in a hammock, you know, on the beach, as some people call that freedom, maybe a few weeks, not a few days a year. But I mean, overall, you still want to have something that, that you do because significance is a big part of who we are. We want to be involved in helping people. So again, if you have freedom, because you've got the capital assets producing recurring income, not dependent upon you. Now, guess what? You can really focus on what you really love to do. If that's still to our, to my dental colleagues, dentistry great but guess what now you can do it the way you want to do it maybe that's working two and a half days a week maybe that's mentoring a younger doctor you don't have to do the insurance i mean it just changes everything and here's the other kicker guys is 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 your your income actually will go up your income assets will go up because because you're not on this treadmill doing that same thing i've seen that happen over and over again in freedom founders i mean it happened for me when i had my freedom number that i that i said it was close enough when i when i sold the practice uh it you know it it it's not a number that's still there today. I mean, my, my freedom number is still relatively low because I'm conservative like my dad. But, you know, my income and wealth has gone up way more in the last 10 years than my first, you know, 20, 25 years. Well, one, I, I know more, but also uh, it's, it's just been the ability to focus on, on that aspect and doing what I love to do. That's, that's the game changer. And, yeah. you know, that just feeds right into another one of his teachings, which is this progression that people go through. And I'm going I'm to quote it here, operator to business owner 
to entrepreneur, which that's where most people are going to stop, right? They think yes. entrepreneur, there's a magazine called entrepreneur. I mean, it's, right. this is the, it's the pinnacle, right? But then he takes it one step further to investor. So walk our audience through that, those concepts that, that, that was fascinating to me. I think that's a really eye opening and, you know, probably most of us can kind of tell where we are in that progression, but can you kind of walk us through how you see that, that, that progression up through that chain? Yeah, well, 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 school, formal education teaches us to be operators, different kinds of operators, but we're all taught to be operators in some form or fashion to go do a thing as a trade skill we learn. So that's operator. That's, that's, that's first level, as Dan would say. And there's some operators that make a very high hourly income. That's kind of what, what operators ascribe to. That's what we all think. Well, I can just, you know, you know, go up the chain and I'll make more dollars per hour, but there's a limit there. There's a limit. So now you go into business owner, which is what I was just reflecting on is a business owner is where you have equity in a business and you still may work in that business to some degree if you wish to. And then you're going to, you're going to draw a, a, a salary for that actual work. But on top of that, you have equity and that equity in that business should be producing that recurring income, the profit distributions to the owner that, that are there, whether you work in there at all or not. So that's a true business. Uh, the entrepreneur is one that is, uh, I think, nimble, adaptable, uh, is able to take um, the mindset and shift gears when, when we have changes in the market cycles and, and is always visionary and looking ahead at you know, how to take either the current business model and be able to shift and adapt it and pivot it like so many have had to do during the, the COVID-19, or maybe even morph their, their, their skill set in leadership and systems and operations and marketing to, to a whole different dynamic. I mean, that's where you're not, you're not constrained by, you know, the formal education that you have that maybe got you to a certain point in life. It's like, no, you've got skill sets now that can move and morph. I think that's, 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 that's the insurance policy uh, for everybody. And then, then the investor. Uh, yeah, the investor is, is one that, that really is, 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 is typically very passive. Uh, so, so you find through your network, you know of, you create alliances with other people just through, your, through people that you spend time with. As I said, the environment's key and you take, take some of your, your capital and you invest it with or through other people that you believe in uh, through the, into their businesses or in through to their, their real estate. And you can do both. So you can, you can, in fact, you can do all, you can do all these at once. You can do all four of these at once. If you wish, you don't have to be, you know, it, it is a progression, but again, being an operator at some level, uh, people like it. it's the craft, right? It's like, well, I, I like the craft, but also I want to be the business owner and have the, the profit distributions. I want to be the entrepreneur because I want to be that visionary who can shift and adapt and solve new problems because that's fun when you take a team and you, you, you orchestrate something new. And then as the investor, that's, you know, that's something you want to be building also at the same time. And, you know, typically in life, we progress through and towards, towards the end of life, we're going to be probably less active, but gosh, still be an investor because that's how you get to live vicariously through other people who are coming up through the ranks. You got help along the way. Now you're helping other people. You're seeding the, the formation of, of, of capital into the marketplace again, which is, which is what this country is built on. Small business, entrepreneurs. Uh, that's that's yeah. the catalyst. That's what it's all about. Well, that hits, uh, and again, on, on Dan Kennedy, I mean, super, super, you know, guest on your, the quarterly deal. But I mean, he talked about that simultaneously versus sequential. And we've hit on sequential a lot. But if you, if you do sequential, like we just talked about, and wait till the very end, let's say your story. You wait till the very end to become that investor. You wouldn't have been able to do what you did when your daughter uh, had health issues. You, you didn't have, you wouldn't have had a plan B if you said, wait, I'm not supposed to invest yet because I need to wait until I get to that point. So that's the true, the true power of, of what he's talking about. I jotted down another quote there. And again, going back to the Corley mastermind, but Mike McCallowitz, 
he's got the quote and I'm going to read it. He says, business ownership is where we own the business, not where the business owns us. And you listeners out there think about that. I wrote that down. I've got three stars by it now because most business owners, that business is owning you. You are chained to the chair. You don't really own that business, maybe legally, but that thing's got you and, and you're, you're stuck with it. So kind of continue your story a little bit. How did you get from, from your daughter having health issues, realizing you could sell your practice, step away from the practice, to now having the Freedom Founders mastermind uh, and doing what you're doing there? Walk us through that mindset and, and, and kind of that chain of events. So yeah, so I, I I sold the practice, and you know Jenna was you know you know was recovering, and uh, it was it was one year. I think it was I think it was ten years ago. I think it was about twenty ten. Uh, Candace, my wife, said, you know, we need to send out a Christmas letter because you know people have been kind of following along, but we've been so busy uh, dealing with with Jenna's situation that you know you know sending out Christmas letters was kind of the last thing on our list. So she said, I'm, I'll, I'll she said I'll do the letter. I said, great, thank you so much, and she just put a little piece in there, you know, in the letter that that. Hey, you know, you know, Jenna's health is is improving. Uh, got through the crisis, uh, and by kind of by the way, uh, David sold the practice and, and didn't say anything more. And that I think that one of the line caused enough people, especially my colleagues, you know, in dentistry or medicine that I knew that we send letters out to. I had a number of them, you know, kind of ping back and say, "Okay, um, awesome, Jennifer's doing better," because that was the number one concern. But number two wait a minute, wait a minute, David, you, you sold the practice. Um, you're only 40. What? And how's that possible? Uh, right? Yeah. 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 How, how could you do that? Cause they're thinking like anybody would, well, like, that's great. But, um, financially, um, you know, did you like have a windfall somewhere? I mean, you know, truly they want to know. Right. And I said, no, no windfall. I said, cause a lot of people guys did not know that I was investing in real estate. I kept that totally separate. Uh, it, it was, and, and, and it was just, I kept my identity separate dentistry, real estate did not mix the two. So when they ask, I said, well, yeah, I mean, I, I started just as I told you here today, I started investing back when I was, uh, you know, in my early 20s and just, you know, kept building it. Well, the next question is, well, you know, you know, several of them said, you know, well, could you show me how you did that? Because they're thinking, well, boy, if he did it, you know, maybe I could do the same thing. I said, well, well, I can. Yeah, I can show you. I can show you kind of teach you the, the basics of what what I did. But it might be easier if you just piggybacked on some of my deals. Right. So at the same time, because so I, so I, I was, I was, this was after 2008. It's like 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, that whole period of time, uh, you know, after the reset, uh, there was just, it was so easy, easy to find really good deals because everything gets discounted. We call it America's on sale. And so, so I was able to find these properties. I didn't have all the money in the world, but I thought, gosh, we can pull these assets down. I had a, a management team already for my assets. So it wasn't adding a lot there. So I just used their capital. We've set up joint venture structures that uh, gave them first money out, made them very, very safe. I ran the whole deal, but they could come and, and kick the bricks with me. These are people that were local in my area. So they could come in the first few they would do. They want to go walk the property with me. And, and then after we did a few, it's like, then they'd say, well, when's the next one? And I'd say, well, you want to go walk the property? No, I don't need to walk the property. <laughs> just, just send the paperwork, right? I'll wire the money. So, so that's how it, things got started. And then I had more people. So then I guess, you know, word spreads. Uh, and then I have more people, you know, friends of friends saying, well, hey, you know, can you show me? Okay, I go, well, I'd love to, but, you know, I'm not going to build up some massive uh, infrastructure. I'm kind of done with those days. I like my life as it is right now. So I started thinking, well, but how could I help more people without me, you know, doing everything? Like we just said, the business is dependent upon you. I didn't want to build another business dependent upon me. But I, but I knew a lot of people. 
because I've been doing real estate for decades, right? So, so I said, well, you know what? Let's do a little meeting. It's just, this is my idea. What if I just bring the two sides together? You know, the, the doctors and dentists who have the capital that would like to see, learn how to invest in real estate. What if I brought my friends, some of, you know, some of my key friends that I've been doing this with for a lot of years and I brought them in because they actually have the deal flow. I don't want to build my own. I said, let's just, let's just do a, a meeting. I didn't even think I even called it a mastermind. Let's just do a meeting. And brought them together. And I was kind of the translator between the two and talking about how these structures could be built. And some deals came out of that, right? And I said, well, you know, part of this meeting is we'll do some, some weekly calls uh, and I'll just continue the education that way. But now um, these doctors are getting to earn as they learn or what better way to go, right? Uh, I mean, theoretical is great, but you don't want to put it to, to the test. Best way to learn is just get involved. So we, they did these deals and I said, after, we'll do this for six months and then let's just reevaluate because we might want to go our separate ways and call it good after six months. Uh, everybody said, man, this has been great. Let's do it. Let's do it some more. So, so okay, we're going to do it for a year this time. All right. So everybody sign up for a year. We're all in for a year. And then it just went from there and it just, you know, it just built and you, you guys have been part of it the last few years, but uh, we just re keep raising the caliber. Um, what I mean by that is, is, is even though there's no guarantees in life and we certainly can't guarantee anything. Right. Uh, but, but what we do, make a promise is that we will only have the highest caliber people. And we do a lot of vetting because it's, it, it is, there is fragility there for people who don't know what they're doing. You have a wild, wild west where people would come in and have real estate deals pitched left and right. And it, it just, it'd fall apart because even in great markets, there's people that are wannabes that, you know, maybe have good intentions, but they're not prime time to be taking other people's money. So I only work with people that have strong track records. Uh, we vet, we curate heavily. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's been a really good ride. And because I get to work with great people, it's, it's a lot of fun. What do you say? Um, so what do you say? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm thinking like a viewer right now. What do you, what do you say if somebody in their mind, they're thinking, Dr. Phelps, you're nuts. You know, you're nuts. Why, why, you know, why would I pull all the money out of the stock market and put it into real estate? Um, I've always been taught to, you know, put it in my 401k, put it in the market. In the end, it's going to go up and that's how I'm going to retire. What do you say to that individual who's, who's I'm going to say, calling you nuts right now, who's having that question? Well, that, and, and that's okay. I think, I think, you know, as soon as somebody's inquisitive, then that starts at least a conversation. And I think that's where we all start in life. And uh, I'm not saying that, you know, I, you know, I won't call them nuts. They won't call me nuts, but, but you know, we all, <laughs> we all have our biases, right? Uh, what, what I will say is, is, you know, the traditional financial model, which is highly dependent upon Wall Street, um, is a model that is really not built to serve the individual investor. Let me just say that. Now, it doesn't mean people that invested there uh, can't make money. You, you, you can't, you can't uh, accumulate funds. Uh, but the volatility is what hurts people. And, and you know, we've, we've, we were on a, a like, like about 10 year, you know, bull market run coming out of 2008, you know, and, and people get complacent and they go, wow, you know, well, we made up for, for the losses and we're back up again, back up again and feeling good, feeling good. And then bam, you know, you, you have the next one hit. Uh, and then, then people start to shudder again. And what I know is, is I've worked with so many, um, you know, relatively high income uh, people over the years is, is that the, the Wall Street model is, is, a, is a very average return model. And the volatility is what sinks people. Uh, the volatility uh, sets them back and, and there's no ability for them to, to what I call surf the waves. We know we're going to have economic cycles. In fact, you know, in Freedom Founders, we were predicting the next one was going to come, 
sometime soon. I've been predicting it for several years, right? So you can say, well, so they, that was easy. But, but the, the key thing is, is that we're always going to have cycles. So if you, if you, if you understand that and hedge, you can hedge a lot better if you're involved in, in, in capital asset, be it a business or real estate. Yeah, you're, you're going to have to have a little bit more involvement. At least your head's got to be in the game. You've got to be connected. But that's the opportunity, not the disadvantage. The disadvantage is on Wall Street, where it's an efficient marketplace, where information is, is, is wide open to everybody. And that means people that are a whole lot smarter than we are with a whole lot more money and computer algorithms and inside information, yeah, it happens, uh, are, are, are playing with our money. It's, it's, to me, it's just not a place to be. So you have to decide. You know, you can go with the averages of the majority and do the whole 401k thing and cash balance and defined benefit plan and stack that money away in what I call a lockbox, which means you can't touch it until you're 59 and a half. You can't control it. You can't decide where it's going to be invested. Somebody else is doing that for you and you can keep your fingers crossed and hope. Or you can decide, I would like to take some more control over my finances. Yes, you have to get involved. You have to get engaged. But gosh, what, what, what certainty it provides for the people who will do that, it's just, it's a life changer. It's just life changer, but you just got to be in that position where you decide I've had enough of the volatility. I want to do something different. It seems to me like there's a lot of people who, who their resistance is, is really tied into. It just feels overwhelming. I mean, there's, there, like you said, there, there's, there's bad operators out there. They probably have a dentist friend or two that got involved in a syndication that went south and they lost their investment and, and, you know, they're frustrated and you're right. I mean, there's no guarantees in, in, you know, anything, stock market or real estate or anything. But, but it, one thing it really seems to me is that one thing that can really help people power through the, that resistance is information and, and education and really tapping into other people's learning curve. And, and from, you know, being part of the Freedom Founders community and watching you guys operate, that is such a, a valuable component is, is you really take all the lessons and the bruises that others have, have kind of earned throughout the time and, and you're able to tap into that. So, so talk about the educational component. Dr. Phelps, tell us, tell well, us kind of how you view that education. And I'll agree real fast to you, Bill. It, it, it would seem overwhelming, but I think the true power, and I'll let you talk here, but I think the true power is, you know, the learning curve of other individuals, but not doing it by yourself. Right. You know, if, if I was to go invest in real estate and just do it all by myself, I would probably be overwhelmed, but not if I surround myself with the right people and piggyback on somebody else. Yeah. The information and education is a critical part of what we do. And, and we, we do, we, we, we're really good at you know, onboarding new people who have relatively little experience in real estate. They might've bought some houses, maybe they own their practice building, but maybe a couple rental houses, but maybe not. And so they really don't have a real understanding as, as to what I say, you know, peeling the layers of the onion back because there's so many different ways you can invest in real estate. It's not the typical got to buy the rental house and manage tenants and contractors, which typically blows up for most hobbyists because it's just, it's not their thing. So yeah, the information and education is a very important part of what we do, uh, but also the implementation so that, you know, we don't just give you information and say, well, go, 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 go forth and go, go back to your home, uh, your state, your community, and, 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 and here's what you can go do. You, you're going to start engaging with realtors and uh, you're going to go on to Zillow and you're going to, you know, no, 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 no. Uh, I'm a big fan of taking participations with other people. The key is the right people and learning the due diligence of both the investment, but also the people you're going to do business with. And I think the difference between Wall Street and what we do at Freedom Founders, what is what I call Main Street, being real estate, is that rather than buying stock or bonds on real estate, you know, based on companies, right? Companies where we don't ever get to sit at the board boardroom table. I mean, we just maybe we can read reports, but I mean, who of us are going to read those reports anyway? At Freedom Founders, you get to sit literally at the table 
with the people in charge of the syndication or the investment. You get to, you, in fact, you get to even go, uh, we take due diligence trips where we actually go to our trusted advisors on site and, and meet their team and the culture and see what, you know, what is they're investing in, is whether it's single family or multifamily or self-storage or senior assisted living uh, or, or we do lending deals. We can see what that looks like and you get to sit at the table and, and on a regular basis, I, I, even on virtually, outside of our meetings, we do regular panel discussions like the three of us are doing here today with our different trusted advisors on what's happening in the market. What are you seeing now? What are you doing? So we bring the real-time information and you get inside. So now you see, okay, if I'm gonna invest my money in that platform with that trusted advisor, that deal sponsor, I already get to know them. I've already learned to know them. It's not a pitch. It's like really spending time with them. You can't do that on Wall Street. You're just, again, you just gotta hope the reports are true and we've learned many times that unfortunately they're not. Yeah, where you're almost constantly running to the computer and clicking the refresh button to see kind of that, that number go, go up and down. Hit, hit on just a little bit, and you, you did just a second ago in, in some of your discussion, and, and Jason Scott mentioned this in the, the quarterly mastermind, is inefficient markets versus efficient markets. And you hit on that a little bit with the stock market, but unpack that just a little bit. That was very eye-opening to me when I heard that concept. Yeah, so, so when we're in the world of, of the financial markets, the Wall Street markets, uh, the information available to anybody as an investor, whether it's an individual investor uh, or institutional investors or pension plans, you know, uh, insurance companies, there's tons of money that, that has to get invested for various reasons, all the way down to, to individuals. Well, that information is available, um, you know, real time. It's, it's, it's the data, the analysis. Uh, it's just a matter of getting a hold of it and then if you're smart enough to, to interpret it. Uh, big investors, of course, they have people that are smart and they can, they can look at those and well, we should invest here. We need to move the portfolio here. I mean, you know, at a big, big level, but it's a very efficient market. So, so the, the pricing of the market is, is real time. You're, you're always going to pay, uh, you know, the retail dollar amount for whatever it is you're investing in uh, at, at the time in the financial markets. Yeah. Real estate is an inefficient market, meaning that, that the information is very much local. It's insider, which is legal on, on Main Street. Uh, it's kind of really who you know, the network you're in. So it'd be very difficult for me to understand what's going on in California from here in Texas and that marketplace, unless I had people boots on the ground uh, that were giving me insider information because I can't go to my computer and get really the inside what I need to know about a specific property on 123 Elm Street or if I'm looking at that, I need to know what's going on. So I've got to have a market presence there. So the inefficiency of the market allows for great price fluctuation, which means that at any given time, a, an individual investor just like me can have an opportunity to acquire, buy, invest in an asset, a real estate asset, based on my knowledge of the market, my knowledge of what's going on with the seller, the owner who wants to sell it for, and I can find out what the reasons are. I can create my own structure of financing based on what the seller's needs are. I mean, there's so much opportunity there that you can't do on Wall Street. That's the, to me, that's actually the fun part, but it's also, also the opportunity. The inefficiency creates value opportunities that aren't available on Wall Street. Yeah, so you said it perfectly. This. Go ahead, Bill. Let me ask you this, Dr. Phelps, because I, I love you know, the fact that, that you've been in this, this game for quite some time, you've seen a lot of different market fluctuations. I mean, you've, you've been, been through good times, you've been through bad times, and each one presents its own types of opportunities. So a, a listener, a casual listener out here who wants to get into real estate, they don't understand, they're, they're intimidated by it, and they're trying to understand, you know, what, what is the prognosis? What does it look like 
in, in your mind uh, with the, the real estate investing and post COVID-19 uh, with stimulus? I mean, how, how would you kind of articulate to the viewers how you would view this cycle we're in right now? Yeah, I think the cycle we're in right now is going to provide some real opportunities uh, in days or months to come. I think we're still in a very uh, uncertain period of time because the COVID, which caused you know, great disruption in the, in the um, financial markets, the economy, no doubt, uh, we've had also a lot of artificial support. I'm not saying it's bad or it shouldn't have been done, but you know, the, the, Fed, the Fed federal simulation packages you know, have boosted things back up again. Sure. Uh, but it, those, that support can't be there forever. So I think down the road, and I can't say exactly when, uh, there's gonna be more disruption, which means uh, there's gonna be probably a lack of liquidity, which means uh, money flowing available to the credit markets, which is what really drives our economy. When there's financing in place, and a, a robust economy, that's when things expand. Unemployment goes down. On the other side, when we have a contracting economy because of a reset recession, a triggering event, which we've had, uh, then liquidity or credit access starts to dry up. Uh, and that's what forces a lot of people, business owners, investors, uh, even people on a personal basis have to like sell assets, downgrade, right? Downsize, uh, get, their, get their burn rate down, uh, try to release debt uh, that they're relying on, uh, maybe too much debt. So those opportunities will come up in, in all kinds of sectors. Uh, real estate, uh, that's just the one we focus on. So again, I think, I think those are coming. So I think it's a, it's a time to uh, be uh, watchful, uh, be careful, but the, see, there's an opportunity to invest all along the way. Uh, and that's where a prudent investor comes along. I think, I think it's not like you have to have all your money off the table right now and just wait, 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 wait to like the perfect time because you can never time it perfectly. Right. But we use specific criteria in our investing models to say, you know, what's, what's the adjustment factor that we would put in place like right now for a volatile market? So if I'm looking at something I would have looked at four months ago and said, that's a buy, well, I might put a, an adjustment factor on it today just to give me a little bit more margin because I don't know exactly where we're going to kind of level out, if you will, in the months or quarters to come. So it, some of it comes with um, just a gut and uh, going through a lot of these. Some of it comes from looking at some data, but you got to be careful with data because a lot of times data is manipulated. So uh, you have to just, you know, again, it's being around a network of people that are all bringing data and their talent and expertise to the table. And we weigh that together. And that's how we make decisions. We do it as a, as a group. It's not like one person leading the tribe and saying, oh, invest in this now. It's like, no, we, we, we collaborate. And that gives me the best insurance policy because I don't want to be ever thinking on the one in the group, because I am not. Uh, I'm a facilitator. I want other smart minds around me that I can ping off of and see if my perception of what I think it is, I want to see if someone has a different idea, because I might, I might want to hear what they have to say, and I might, I might adjust a little bit what I'm thinking by getting that additional perspective. Yeah. Hit on just a little bit as we kind of wind down here on, and you mentioned it before, but the freedom number. You know, you talk about that all the time in the Freedom Founders Mastermind. What is your freedom number? unpack that a little bit because a lot of viewers out there right now, they might be thinking, you know, they've got this number in mind that's humongous. They think they need to get to X and it's just a lot. Um, and maybe that's not the case. So kind of unpack that freedom number just a little bit, that overall concept. Yeah, that's a great question, Jared. Uh, in the financial world, the freedom number or the number that say a typical conventional financial advisor would give somebody with a certain lifestyle they would say, well, in order for you to quote retire, you know, sell out of the practice or the business, the career and, and quit active income, it's gonna be a number, but it's gonna be a single number. It's usually that big accumulation number. Uh, it could be anywhere from two to four to six to eight to $10 million. Uh, I hear typically for dentists, it's, it's, they've told six to $10 million. That's what you need, doctor. 
it's based on the fact that they're not going to take that, 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 that capital and they're going to put it in something very conservative now. <laughs> it's amazing how we go conservative now, you know, after they've had them in the stock market <laughs> all this time, right? Now we're going to go conservative because we're going to protect that. So we go conservative. And of course, what, do you, what kind of returns do you get today, you know, in a conservative CD, T-bill, money market, like, you know, next to nothing. So that doesn't work out too well. So, so they say, well, the reason you have to have eight or $10 million is because you're going to, over time, deplete the principal. That's a big part of what you're going to live off of is, is part of the principal. Uh, take no more than 4% out, the Monte Carlo formula. And, and that way, if you have this much money and your lifestyle is this, they run the numbers, go, yeah, then you can make it to age 92 without, without running out. That's the model that the traditional financial model works off. Freedom number is based on cash flow. And the freedom number is, is the monthly cash flow that you need before tax, because we've got to pay taxes. So before tax, then we revert that back to after tax. So after tax, I need X dollars per month to sustain my current lifestyle. Doesn't have to be austere, but what's that number? What's that number? If we don't set the number too high and we can hit freedom, our freedom number, so our, our capital assets producing that recurring passive income can meet that freedom number wherever it is, that's our freedom point. Now from there, we can, we can continue to increase our wealth, increase that cash flow. It doesn't have to stop there, but that's where we get to get off the treadmill. And that's the place where people start to really start to see their life and envision things differently, change their model, spend more time with their family. It just changes everything. So we really work really hard on the cash flow number, not the accumulation number. It creates yeah. options. It creates options. options at that point. Yes. I can just picture, I don't know what commercial is, one of those investment commercials where they're walking around and they have that number beside them, a 1.2 million. I don't know if you yeah. guys have seen that, but that's, that's kind of the concept. So typically, you know, you said for a dentist, you hear anywhere from six to 10 million. Um, when they come and, and the dentist comes and starts talking to you, does it typically the freedom number become lower than that? That well, yeah, the, the, the total uh, amount of capital assets invested in the right assets becomes a lot lower. I mean, exactly. I mean, I mean, at least I'd say I'd say half at least. Mm -hmm. uh, most of our docs do very well, very well at three to five million, and a lot of them can 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 do fine at less than that. It just depends upon you know what their needs are and what you know who they're supporting and things like that but but yes half the number easily can be done very very well yeah that's awesome dr phelps uh we appreciate your time we always like to end on one question here and that's you know what what would be your advice right now to a dental practice owner so again we're, we're kind of going through the COVID 19 pandemic or not kind of we are um what's your advice to the dental practice owner on how they can really get back in and get get momentum in their practice so back to the practice. Well, that's, that's a great question. You know, you know the, the three of us and Dr. Mike Abernathy spent about uh, two months <laughs> going through the framework right. of that. Uh, but I, I, think, I think one of the big ones are, you know, would be uh, to, to take the things that we learned that we didn't need. So the things we could subtract that we were doing just because it was convention. Um, we've learned that we don't, we don't necessarily have to have uh, you know, a waiting room um, with, with a bunch of people in it that, that we actually can have a model that actually can be in the favor of our patient, which I call re reducing friction. So we can reduce friction to the client, customer, or patient and make it more seamless. So things that we've learned that we up until now wouldn't have done that we've turned, in, turned into a new system of operations and make it smooth. What have we learned there? Um, what things, what, you know, what, how's our practice model gonna look going forward? Uh, are we returning to a point of where we're looking at profitability first, not just top line revenue? It's a big misnomer. You guys deal with it all the time as people want to press, put, push, the, push the pedal on the, on the top line number when that has nothing to do with our cash flows or the profitability. So a right size practice model. Now, I, 
can't say what that is for any individual person, but you've got to be intentional about the right size for you. Um, I think, you've, you've, again, you've got to have the advice from people, uh, and this is where I'm going to see your praises, because, because you guys have built a firm, not just for tax and accounting and aspects, but you've built it on, on really being a counselor and advisor uh, to clients. That's what's been missing. And so to have someone who can be there on the finances and help help a practitioner make decisions, not just by a gut feel or everybody else is doing this or buying that or doing this. No, let's look at numbers because the numbers will drive, drive you to your goal faster. Uh, getting clarity on that goal. Uh, where do you want to be? What's the purpose of this business, this practice? Do you want to be the operator in it? Do you want to move it to a, to a more of a business? It doesn't matter except you got to decide what you want. And now let the numbers, let someone help you drive it. Uh, don't try to do it solo. You, you, there's just, there's not room for just doing it by yourself anymore. Meaning, I don't mean more doctors. I mean, you need a team around you. A team in a financial team to me is like the number one. You could add other people to that for sure. But the financial team has got to drive decisions based on clarity of what your vision is. And that's what I love about what you guys are doing better than anybody I've seen. Yeah, well, we appreciate that for sure. Bill, at the beginning, I think I said we we're, we're going to set the bar high. I don't think we disappointed here. I mean, we could talk all day, you know, Dr. Phelps. So tell our viewers out there how they can reach you, how they can get in contact with you. Best, best place is uh, you can visit our website, which is Freedom Founders. That's founders with an S, freedomfounders.com. Um, from there, we've got, you know, newsletter and books I've done. And you can plug it anywhere you want to there. Uh, see what we do. I've got a podcast, a weekly podcast, the, the Dentist Freedom Blueprint Podcast. So you can go there. And you know, plug it into to the website. Uh, you can actually get on the newsletter. Uh, I do weekly blogs. Um, so lots of information so people can plug in and just see uh, if they still think I'm nuts. <laughs> it's, it's your call, it's your decision, but, but at, least, at least plug it and see. Yeah, definitely. Listen, listen to his podcast, and you got a great podcast, but also those weekly blogs. I mean, I, I read them every single week. One of the things I do every day is write down something I learned, and yours is one. One day out of every week, I write down yours for sure. So we appreciate everything you do for, for, for dentists or, or for just thank you for what you do. You've got a great story and you're definitely sharing the message. Um, you've been a huge impact on us. We appreciate you. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to meet you and, and to do this. So um, guys, check out Dr. Phelps. I'm telling you, he is a, uh, he is a visionary for sure. And uh, if you like this episode, feel free to leave a review down there in the show notes, but also uh, subscribe to the podcast. We're going to bring on more and more, high-level individuals, maybe not Dr. Phelps style, but more and more high-level individuals. Uh, so subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening today. So Bill, Dr. Phelps, appreciate it again. Hope you guys have a great week and we'll all talk soon. We'll see you. Thanks, Jared. Thanks, Bill. Enjoyed it.